Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 186. And today, Imogen and I are going to have another interesting conversation. Welcome to my podcast, Imogen. Thank you for having me back again. Yeah, I need you back because I am sure that these long conversation podcasts are much more interesting than my solo attempts. But yes, last week we didn't have a podcast because we were away on holiday. But I've got some more things to say about that later on. And I wonder if anybody realizes that we're a couple of days late with this episode. (laughs) It wasn't because we forgot to record it on Monday or anything. Well, we forgot in the morning, (laughs) didn't we? Uh, We usually record Monday morning Australia time, but we forgot. And then after lunch, we couldn't record, could we? We had a really good excuse why we couldn't record. We do, genuinely good excuse. You're absolutely going to agree. We could not have done this. Um, We have... We were thinking about recording the podcast, got to the afternoon, and a truck arrived to cut down a tree right outside the house. So you might remember, um, we've had an ongoing saga with this tree. Uh, If you go back a a couple of podcasts or so, it was the tree that got hit by lightning and caught on fire, and we had to call the fire brigade. And then it was the same tree that we had a tree crew come out and cut half the tree down because of that. They tried to fix it, didn't they? They did. Unfortunately, the damage was beyond fixing, and the whole tree died, which, not great. We've had some very windy weather And the tree has just been shedding branches everywhere. You'd come home, park your car, and come out again half an hour later. It's covered in dead leaves, twigs, small branches. The whole thing was going to come down eventually. So Monday afternoon, um, quite quickly for our local council, actually, they sent out a crew just to cut the entire thing down, which was very exciting. We all stood in the living room with our noses pressed up to the window. And when I say we, I mean, it's me and Charlotte, who's my next sister down, and Dad. And we're all standing there looking up at the tree like, wow. As this guy in, in, um, in the big cherry picker bucket has got his little chainsaw and he's just cutting this tree down, throwing the branches around. We're listening for the ones that made the biggest thump. Yes, the crew arrived with that warning. I just uh, saw them coming along the driveway and Quinn, the dog, she barked and barked. We knew something was up. But yes, it was a surprise to find out they were coming to get rid of our tree. But we now know how to cut down a tree. You don't start at the bottom and (laughs) start hacking and then hope it falls in the right direction, do you? No, you've got to cut all the branches off first. You've got to go all the way up, cut them down in sections. Um, if, you, if you cut it correctly, it'll fall in the right direction, which is great if you're in a residential street with a house or a car nearby. And then once you cut all the branches off as close to the trunk as you can go, then you start cutting the trunk down in sections. Unfortunately, the tree out the front of our place was a big old gum tree, and it had this really fibrous um, bark to it, which is very thick. It came off in sheets. And because it's so fibrous, it's very hard to cut through with a chainsaw because it just clogs the whole thing up. It may have broken the chainsaw at one point. Yes, I think the uh, workman got a bit annoyed about that, didn't he? he? He was very upset. He was he's all the way up at the top of this tree, you know, meters and meters in the air, taking his chainsaw apart, trying to trying to clean out the bits of bark and fix it. 
and after taking it apart about three different times he just throws his head back and you can just see the frustration just rolling off him as he's got to come all the way down to the ground to try and figure out what's going to go on with this chainsaw while all the other workmen just stood around at the bottom looking at him yeah that's pretty typical you've got one person doing all the work and six people standing around supervising yeah when they came to fix the tree you know when they (laughs) didn't know it was dead I heard, I think it was via you when you were working the dark, that one person was up the cherry picker doing all the work and all the other men were sitting around on their camp chairs having coffee. Oh, yeah. They they parked their truck off to the side and then they were sitting in the shade of the truck because it's a little bit warm that day, you know. Can't stand in the sun. They've got all the little folding chairs out. They've got an esky, they've got these thermoflasks of coffee. It was like a meeting of an old ladies' knitting group. <laughs> old ladies knitting group you better be careful because i'm turning into an old lady and i might sound a little bit um i don't know that's okay you're not part of a knitting group yet it's fine <laughs> yeah you are you knit every evening yeah I'm, I'm a knitting group of one it doesn't count yes and you're i mean you're getting ready to be an old lady who knits yep i just got i gotta get the practice in i'm not very good yet <laughs> Anyway, we now know how to cut down a tree. You do it in sections, and every time they cut a section off, it went thump. It did. It was the, it was the loudest, it was most satisfying thump. And now we have a few stumps where there used to be a tree, and it looks rather sad, doesn't it? We do have a nice skyline, though, now. The horizon does look very nice. You can see the sky. Well, you can see it a bit, but there's trees across the road, and there's trees to each side, so I'm not entirely upset about it because I still have a nice view out the living room window of all the other trees but when we went out there walking the dogs just about an hour or so ago I noticed that there are a lot of new what would you call them saplings coming up from the trunk of the tree already so I reckon that the tree will regrow there's a lot of new life down the bottom it's already been growing since I guess since the tree was struck by lightning so yes. there's hope. We're going to get our tree back. <laughs> it might just take a few years. Yeah. Oh, well. patient. So we couldn't um, make a podcast because of the sound of, first of all, the chainsaw, and then afterwards when they got the whole tree down. And they were just mulching it, and it was mulching for hours. And The buzz of a mulcher is not nearly as nice as the thump of a tree hitting the ground, so did not need that in the background. No, so it would have been even more annoying than having the neighbourhood dogs barking. <laughs> So that was our excuse for Monday, wasn't it? We had a good excuse why we didn't podcast Monday. And then on Tuesday, you went to work and I thought, well, maybe I should do a solo episode by myself because otherwise people will think that we're inconsistent. We're doing so well, aren't we? We've got a good streak going. I think think I've been here for at least four episodes now. Yeah, and sort of our reputation is on the line here. (laughs) But, you know, I couldn't motivate myself to do anything on Tuesday. On Tuesday, I got up and I had plenty of free time and I could have done something. But I just felt so low that the last thing I wanted to do was anything. I didn't want to podcast. I was going to abandon my blog. I didn't want to create anything for the community. What else do I do? I didn't want to vlog. And nothing seemed exciting. I just thought... Right, we're ex-podcasters. We're not going to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't need the commitment. I don't. I want to do something different. Do you know what I did? Nothing. No, I did do something. <laughs> I, did. You d- I mean, you didn't close everything down. You didn't. You didn't throw in the towel. Well, no, because I have learned something very important, and I'm. I've heard other people say this too. Never make any decisions when you're feeling down. 
because when you're feeling at the rock bottom, uh, life does look different, but you have to remember that you might feel differently about things, that moods can change fast yes. and that you don't, you shouldn't make any irreversible decisions or any big decisions you don't want to come back next week and say, look, I'm not next podcaster after all. <laughs> and people say, oh, you know, can she make up her mind about this? Your feelings when you're at rock bottom and not always your true feelings. So sometimes everything's a bit overwhelming and too much. And the simplest answer just seems to be to, to throw in the towel and just say, that's it, I've had enough. I think it happens with parenting as well. And also uh, homeschooling, unschooling, you have your bad days. It's not all uh, highs. We do have to go through the lows as well, but we also have to remember that moods change fast. Yes. And difficulties, what seems difficult one day might not seem difficult the next day. So what I actually did was I played for a day. I got onto Skillshare and I watched some videos about drawing expressive characters, stylized people. And I got my iPad out um, and I used Procreate just to play around. And I'm not an artist, but it just, I didn't think that mattered. It's something that I wanted to do. I wanted to play around with some colors. The thing I did perfectly, Imogen, was I created some palettes for skin tones and hair color. And doing the technical side of it, doing codes, I know how to do that perfectly. That suits me fine. And I did that bit perfectly. My drawing was a bit frustrating, but I don't know. I don't have to show anyone, do I? Exactly. Now, you've always had an eye for colour palettes and um, putting colours together. You've, I think you've had plenty of practice with that in like blogging and making graphics and things. So I think that probably... Photography, maybe? Yeah, that probably stood you in very good stead there because you're very good at that. But actually drawing a character, a person that looks like a person. That's quite difficult. <laughs> it is, but I guess it's not impossible, is it? We just have to keep on trying. Yeah. And that's another lesson, isn't it? That we can't expect to be good straight away. We have to keep on going, whether it's writing or drawing or blogging or podcasting. You've got to start somewhere. And if you keep on trying, you will get better. So look at us. Episode 186. We've kept on trying a long time. <laughs> I'm hoping we're getting better. Right. So life has its ups and downs and I didn't want to podcast yesterday. But I got up this morning and that grey cloud had gone. Well, it rolled into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite cloudy outside today. But at least it was no longer dampening the mood. So here we are, just recording a podcast. So I banged on the bathroom wall door this morning before I went for a walk and said hey how about we do a podcast today and you shouted back yep sounds good so that's what we're doing isn't it all right now well seeing as you were away last week mm -hmm. uh, I, I seem to remember hearing some interesting things that you saw while you were away yes we went perhaps we should say where we went and who went you didn't go no I was at home I ha I was working and someone had to stay and look after the house and the dogs because the dogs couldn't go on holiday which is the downside to having two dogs so Charlotte and I stayed home and you and dad and Gemma Rose the youngest all went up to visit Callum and Sophie and it used to be an eight-hour journey this is what I've been saying. With They live eight hours drive north of us and we're south of Sydney. So in if you go north, uh, inland, in 
sort of northern New South Wales, isn't it? By the it? time you get there, it's it's quicker to get to Queensland than it is to than it is to hit Sydney again. So yeah, you're was, getting quite close to the border. I was looking at a map, and I think that where we went was halfway to Queensland. I mean, it's close enough now to Queensland that people who live up there, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to Queensland over the weekend. You know, I'm just going to drive up to Queensland to get this. I saw an ad for something in Queensland. I'm just going to get that. Living down here is like, but Queensland's so far away. Yes, well, Callum's always saying that. He's always <laughs> hopping over the border to do something, usually farming or pigging or whatever. But anyway, oh, that's, of course, if the border's open. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I think that quite dampened his fun every time the border closed last year. Because of COVID, yes. State borders have been opening and closing. It's, it's, like, it's like a swinging barn door. That's right. You don't really want to go over the border in case you can't get back again. (laughs) But anyway, all the borders are open at the moment. And you know, we haven't got even one community case of COVID at the moment. Which is fantastic. Within the whole of Australia. It's pretty good, isn't it? We're really very, very fortunate. Good progress, finally. Well, I wanted to talk about something to do with that because we've still got social distancing and COVID restrictions. You've still got to sign into venues. You've still got to, you've still got the hand sanitizer at the at every door, which can seem a little bit frustrating having all these restrictions when we don't actually have any COVID, and we just sort of yearn for new ordinary life to come back again after more than a year. But while we were north and we went to a they. Callum and Sophia live in a small country town that's west of Tamworth. Now, Tamworth's really famous for its annual country music festival, isn't it? Yes. Some big name country music people. And every January they have a big festival. And they didn't have it last year because of COVID. But I noticed there's big billboards advertising the festival for 2022. So everyone's really hopeful that that will happen. But, um, yeah, we're not really big country music fans, but I have noticed that <laughs> Callum has turned into a country music fan yep. since living up that area. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get in his truck with him and it's, on goes the country music station. <laughs> he's, got, he's gone a little bit country since moving up there. Yeah, clothes and everything. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, talking about ordinary life, while we were there, we went to, into Tamworth and we went to visit the Botanic Gardens, and the Marsupial Park, which are two different parks, but they're connected back on they're next door to each other and there's no fence between them. You can walk from one to the other and back again. And what I really enjoyed was the fact that even though there were sanitizing stations and there were QR codes, there was nobody there checking anything. It was really low key. You could walk through the gate. No one was counting how many people were in there. There was no sign saying only so many people can come. There was nothing saying you needed a mask or anything. And people were just out enjoying the day with their families, just having an ordinary day. It just felt so so ordinary. I mean, I mean ordinary is good, isn't it? It's like a reminder of, of what normal life is that's right so we went to these two parks twice on the Tuesday of our holiday dad and I and Callum went there and we returned on the Thursday with the other two girls who were actually shopping the first time that we (laughs) went yeah they wanted to go into Tamworth and do some shopping really girly stuff so they didn't actually come with us the first time to the Botanic Gardens and the Marsupial Park Now, the Marsupial Park, 
I really think it should have been called a wildlife park. <laughs> Not many marsupials? Well, we saw kangaroos and wallabies, which are marsupials. But the other animals were mostly birds. <laughs> uh, we saw emus. Oh, they were great, the emus. And I got some good close-up photos through the fence. Did you know that emus, when they're sitting down, they have backward folding knees? Like like dog knees? Maybe. Was it- more like more like elbows going out towards their butts rather than coming out towards their heads. Mm. Oh, yeah, they don't kneel. They yeah, like they're on their front, <laughs> their, their elbows. That's right. And you know they have eyelids that open from the, that are closed from the bottom up instead of the, the top down. That's interesting. Yeah, and we saw an emu that didn't have an eye. Oh, it's but, like a pirate. Yeah, but <laughs> did he have a nice little like, eye patch or something? <laughs> Was it just a hole? Well, I don't know. Because what's dad is said he didn't have an eye. And I kept thinking, perhaps he's just got his eyelid closed. <laughs> Can you imagine he's just walking around winking at everybody? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, dad insists he had no eye. And I didn't get a photo of it, so I can't go and we can verify. Neither, we can neither confirm nor deny that there was a one-eyed emu there. But there is a possibility. We have heard rumours. And there was a sign on the emu enclosure saying, beware of ticks. And it said what to do, how to protect yourself from ticks by... Uh, covering yourself with some repellent, but we didn't actually have any, and what to do if you got a tick. But fortunately, we didn't actually get any ticks. But The um, the consequences of coming from an area where ticks aren't prevalent, where where we live, there, there pretty much aren't ticks, so we never think about it. Do you know that when years ago, in the, in the days gone by, in the far-off past, <laughs> when I actually went to work... <laughs> Oh, that long ago. <laughs> yes, pre-children. I worked in a research lab at a university and I did research with ticks. They were trying to develop some, I don't know what, uh, could it be in a vaccine or something, for dogs against ticks, something they could inject into the dogs that would protect them from ticks. Now, we do that with our, I mean, not inject maybe, maybe tablet form Mm, tablet form sounds right yes but we've started giving our dogs uh, a tablet that protects them from fleas and ticks haven't we yes so maybe it's something to do with that maybe the research i did years ago maybe that was the basis of what we've got now could have been i could have done something that was groundbreaking research here we had a groundbreaking researcher in the family look at that (laughs) yeah something i did years and years ago might have made a really big difference to a dog's life and yeah, as you said, we don't have ticks, but we do have fleas. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> but we don't have cockroaches. This is also true. Gemma Rose, she's 17, she saw her first cockroach. That's It's a pretty good streak to go 17 years without seeing a cockroach, I will say. I think I was, I think I was a little bit older than her when I first saw a cockroach. And I was in Sydney at that point. And it was, it was so disgusting because... Um, I was away at some overnight camp or something and you had to go out of your room to get to the bathroom so you had to walk outside and the the ground was just swarming with all these big black cockroaches and they were enormous and they obviously moved when you came close but there were just so many of them it was like droves of them and once you see that it's like I'm just going back inside I didn't need to go to the bathroom tonight <laughs> I'll wait till the morning <laughs> they're disgusting when we lived in Wollongong, which is a city on the coast, every night the cockroaches used to appear. I don't know where they were. Some of them came in under the back door. 
And so we had to deal with cockroaches all the time. But yes, there are cockroaches in the town where Sophie and Callum live. And yeah, Jimmerez stayed with Sophie over oh, for, the, for the four nights. Dad and I, we stayed in the motel, didn't we? But she stayed with Sophie. And I don't think she liked the cockroaches when they came out and sort of went through Sophie's place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't like these visitors. Well, Sophie's got this rather big gap under her front door. Oh, so we know where the cockroaches are getting in then. <laughs> well, that's what she said. And she, I said, well, you probably get mice as well coming under there. And then Gemma Rose said, she probably gets the snakes as well. Uh, she better put something under that door. That's not very safe. But I don't think she's going to get any snakes because she lives on the main road of town. I don't know. You never know where a snake's going to come out. It's pretty country. I feel like they just come out. But she won't get any snakes at the moment because it's getting cold and they'll all be in hibernation for the next six months. So she's got six months to fix it before the snakes come out. Yes, well, we have dealt with snakes because we get snakes and we've dealt with mice. And anything else that we have here? Possums in the roof, <laughs> rats, but no cockroaches. Anyway, that was um, a digression, wasn't it? Just a little tangent. Should I just go back and see what else? We were talking about we're the talking wildlife about- park. Oh, one more thing before we leave the wildlife park, or, or the marsupial park as it's called. There we had, there was a walk in Avery, which was really lovely. All sorts of um, cockatoos and other birds in there. And on the outside, there was a sign, and Gemma Rose took a photo of it, and she sent it to you, didn't she, Amy? Yes, she was, she was very concerned when she sent it to me. Um, th- the sign says, just be careful. Some of the birds will bite your earrings. Also, the little duck is fine. He was born with a bad leg. <laughs> and, but she's, but it, accompanied with that comes a message, I'm the only one wearing earrings. Should I be worried? <laughs> Well, the duck was actually asleep with his legs tucked underneath him, so we didn't see the bad leg. But can you just imagine <laughs> the number of times that that duck got reported to the... He's injured or he's hurt his leg. And they're like, no, he was born like that. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be a duck with a bad leg at the lake. I used to... He, ha- he had two legs, but one of them, the... Um, the, his foot wasn't formed properly, so he couldn't walk on it properly. So he, he, he sort of hopped and limped around. Well, it didn't stop him from getting anywhere, though. He was happy as anyone else. <laughs> I like signs that people put up. There's, um, there used to be a sign at one of the national parks outside the toilets, and it says something to the effect of, be careful using the toilets uh, because you might fall in. <laughs> Especially for children. And there were pit toilets and the pit was, oh, metres and metres and metres deep. And you can just imagine a child sitting on there. And then just falling straight in. That would be a nightmare. I've noticed that they've changed the toilets there. I wonder if they had one too many people fall in. It was just such an amusing sign, but I don't suppose falling into a pit toilet is amusing at all. But it would be a great story to tell afterwards. Oh, it's not making me laugh. We won't better talk. <laughs> all right, let me look at my list of things. Did we talk about all oh, the wildlife park? I think we've done the wildlife park. It was good. If, so, you, if you go to Tamworth, visit the wildlife park. <laughs> something else that you were sending me photos of was um, some silo art in Gunnedah. Yes. We, we, Dad and I went to Gunnedah uh, without the girls. They had a day, a girly day together, and they went to have their nails done and just spent time together so we drove out to Gunnedah which is another small town and we saw two pieces of artwork um 
silo art and water tower art. Now, in a lot of country towns, uh, silo art is really popular because it's bringing tourists into the towns. The towns have uh, been suffering a lot from drought. Uh, you know, the, the farming has gone downhill. Farmers haven't had a lot of money. Um, these towns have been dying. And someone had the bright idea of painting all the silos and drawing the tourists in. Yeah, I think, haven't they made a, like a, a trail of silo art across the state? I seem to remember reading something about there being a silo art trail that you could follow as a tourist. Yes, I was looking that up online while we were away. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be really lovely to start at one and keep traveling until you've seen them all, take photos of them all. Sometimes you have to travel more than one day to get between them. Uh, but it would be such a fun thing to do, I think, to go on this expedition and see all this art because they really are fabulous. Different artists have done different ones and all done by the same person. And yeah, they really are good. Now, the two that we saw in Canada, I think are fairly new. I couldn't quite get a date for the one on the what uh, the silo, but it seems like it was either done last year or earlier this year. And it is a picture of the poet, the Australian poet, Dorothea McKellar, and an extract from her poem, My Country. Now, do you want to read the extract, Emma Jen? These are the words that was on the silo. Uh, uh, on the silo. So it goes. I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. I love her far horizons. I love her jewel sea, her beauty and her terror, the wide brown land for me. Yes, yeah, so she's sort of uh, describing all the different areas in Australia and the beauty, but also the ruggedness of it because... Australia isn't is a beautiful country, but it's also a tough, hard country sometimes, isn't it, yes. to live in? We have, uh, as she says, droughts and floods, of which we have had several recently. Well, we had a period of drought for a, lo a lot of years, and then we had the flood, didn't we? <laughs> it's, a, it's never brutal here. No. Did she do the same thing about bushfires? But maybe I read the rest of the poem. That's sort of a feature of Australia too, isn't it? Yes, we're just the country that burns. Exactly. Sunburnt, but that's the sun. <laughs> um, and we were discussing this bit of poem earlier while we were making our plans for this podcast. And we were talking about how we've had the droughts and the floods, but also far horizons. We don't get far horizons where we live, do we? No, we're very, we're, we're far more of the rugged mountains where um, we live on the top of an escarpment up in the mountains there's trees all around. Like we're, our town is right on the edge of a national park. Like we walk 100 metres down the road, you're in the national park. So you don't get much of a horizon because it's so much bush. Um, but if you go out to where, so if in Kalamar, there's horizon as far as you can see all the way out to where the mountain range rings the area. And that's sitting way on the horizon. Yes, yeah, so they get more of the sweeping plains, but with their rugged... Um, Just a little bit of rugged mountain thrown in for good measure. And I noticed when we were there, the sky was really aqua blue, really beautiful. We didn't have any clouds, but the mountain ranges were looking blue as well. Very, very beautiful. And I, even from the centre of Tamworth, which is a city, it's such a beautiful setting for a, a city. You, From the wildlife park, you can go over to the lookout 
and see in the distance all the bush. Well, the, the wildlife park was in the bush. And you could see the mountain ranges in the distance. Really beautiful. Lovely, lovely place if you're going to live in a city. As long as you like country music, I suppose. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can avoid that for, for January. I know I'm... I'm not a very community-minded person. If there's one big community event that goes on every year, I'm going to be in the opposite direction. We have one of those here, and it is the worst two weeks of every year because I'm, I'm very aware tourist trade is very important, but also the amount of tourists and how difficult it makes living there as a resident is just annoying. So I, I could handle Country Music Festival because I would just stay home. Yes, it just depends whether you wanted to go into the city for anything. You <laughs> wouldn't find, find anywhere to park or you know, <laughs> the shops would be crowded and all that. But yes, we, we live in a tourist area too, don't we? This is our main uh, industry around where we live is tourism. Yes. Which is lovely for us because even if we don't go on holiday, we live in a place where other people come for a holiday. It is rather beautiful. But yes, for a couple of weeks, especially every spring, Everybody comes down, or winters as well, because people come down, I say come down, come down from Sydney, come up as well for our colder climate and our log fires. Yes, kind of a, kind of a thing. Yeah, and we haven't had, oh well, that's if we have a chilly winter. <laughs> the last couple of winters have been pretty mild, haven't they? They have. But we've had a very cold spring, so we're probably going to have a very cold winter, which is going to be a shock, isn't it? All right, so that was um, Dorothy McKellar and her silo art. And the other piece of art we saw was on a water tower at Gunnedah. It's actually the home to the Gunnedah Museum. Inside the water tower, it's been converted into a museum. Which is a really cool idea, actually. It is, and but we couldn't go in the museum because it's only open for a few hours <laughs> on a Saturday morning. And quite a few things uh, in these small country towns aren't open except for just one day a week or for a few hours. And if you get there at the wrong time, you missed out. Makes you wonder um, whether that's because tourism isn't such a huge trade up there, whereas down here we have so many tourists and so many travellers coming through that it's worth being open a lot more days and a lot more hours because you'll get people coming through. But for the smaller towns up there, maybe they don't get enough tourist traffic through to make it worthwhile opening as much yes but it was the school holidays and dad and I would have been quite happy to be tourists and go in and pay to go and see the museum so they missed out (laughs) (laughs) um but we did get some beautiful photos of the outside of the water tower now the pictures uh commemorate the Vietnam War in particular the long tan battle which Uh, When we went down to the War Memorial in Canberra, do you remember we sat and watched a presentation about the Long Tan Battle? They had had some footage. uh, Was it real life footage? Yeah, they they had news footage. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they had a lot of real life footage from the Vietnam War and specifically that battle. And some uh, voiceover telling us about it. And from what I remember, it was a battle, the Australians, they were. few in number compared to the uh, the other side yes. and it was miraculous I think that they actually came out or so many people came out of that battle alive and they must have shown some courage or other if they've commemorated it with uh, some art mm. so I mean I think you have to be courageous anyway to go to war yes it's not uh, it's you so many people I've read so many stories in me with uh, young people who can't wait 
to go off to war and it's a big adventure and they uh, lie about their age so they can go early. Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself there? But then they discover that war isn't what they thought it was. Yes. And how sad it all is, isn't it? They come back changed for life. But anyway, there's two bits of art, beautiful. We saw another bit of art last time we went up there. It was on a silo at Barabar. And that was three men, or I think it was the same man three times, uh, along one side of the silo. And he was wa- had a wa- he was water divining. So he has uh, twigs in his he head. He has a little um, divining rod. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was lovely too, but I found it very difficult to get the whole of the silo when it was so tall and I had crossed the road and you sort of can't get the whole thing in. Yes. I had the wrong lens on my camera. I said to Dad that knowing that I wanted to go and see some silo art, I should have taken my wide-angle lens <laughs> and then I would have got better pictures. But I did my best and I did enjoy uh, getting photos of those. So I think that's um, all I'm going to say about that about our holiday away it was a good time we just caught up with Callum and Sophie saw where Callum uh, Sophie is now living and saw where she's working did a bit of sightseeing and went on a picnic or two it was good drank some coffee and oh I started off that section Imogen by telling everybody that it used to take eight eight hours to get there you You never explained why that was important (laughs) because we discovered that there's now a new tunnel that bypasses an area of road that had a million traffic lights along it yes the worst bit of road if you're trying to go through sydney to the north yeah it's called the pennant hills road <laughs> it's horrendous you can sit and and move 50 meters in an hour it's it, when it's really busy it's so bad and anyway the tunnel now now bypasses that road you go down it and it drops you right on the motorway you don't even have to, well, you have to merge once you come up, but you don't have to stop at a traffic, last set of traffic lights and get in the right lane. And we just found ourselves on the motorway going north. It's it like, was, wow, that was easy. And there was no traffic either. And the other thing that made our trip faster was that Dad only stopped once instead of twice, which probably wasn't good for him. But, um, yeah, we kind of shaved off some time doing that. And so we arrived up there quicker than we expected. And coming back, we got stuck in a bit of traffic, but still, Dad only stopped once. He was anxious to get home. But, yeah, the trip up there and back rather puts us off travelling. Yes. But it, but it was worth it. So that's all I want to say about that, Emmy. So shall we move on? What have I got on my list? What you, were gonna, if, you were going to tell us about um, what you've been reading recently. What have we been reading? Well, being away last week, I didn't re- actually read much. Have you been reading much? I haven't read much, no. I've, I keep meaning to read some more, but I'm right in the middle of Camp NaNoWriMo at the moment, so any time I think I should, I could be reading, I'm like, maybe I should be writing instead. So it's a bit hard to prioritise things at the moment. Yeah, well, I'm trying to get back into reading, and there is one book that I'm almost finished. So do you think that's good enough? I can talk about that? I think we can talk about that. Well, I want to talk about one part of it in particular, and the book is called Show Your Work, 10 Ways to Share Your Creativity and Get Discovered by Austin Klein. Or Klein? I thought it was... No, that's wrong. 
I've written it down, but I think my um, iPad, my spell checker, <laughs> has decided that it's Austin Klein. You know how um, iPads and phones, they don't believe what you've written in. Like, no, that name's wrong. You don't know how to spell. That's right. And they, they wanted to change it all. You know, I've been writing emails and I've been using some words I never used before because <laughs> uh, my iPad has decided that it doesn't like what I've written. I was writing about a glorious day the other day and it turned into a felonous day. <laughs> is, is a felonous day a good one to go out and commit a crime on? Or I don't know, but I'd never used the word felonous before. And it's a good job I checked before I sent the email, but it was a glorious day. It wasn't a good day for crime. <laughs> so let's find out what his name actually is. <laughs> his name about this book. Here we go. Yes, I was right. It's Austin Cleon. Show your work, 10 ways to sh- share your creativity and get discovered by Austin Cleon. And... Um, I guess about that. Oh, I was thinking about, you know, last time we were speaking about, do we need social media? How are we going to get discovered? Do we just make our work as good as possible and hope other people discover it and share it? And so this book was of interest from that point of view. How do we get to be discovered? Whoops, I'm bashing things here. We're going to have a, a bit of clonk in our podcast. <laughs> now everyone's going to know that you smacked the table. <laughs> yes, we're not very professional, are we? Anyway, so I was looking for some ways so that we can both be discovered. Because what's the point of writing? Well, you enjoy writing, don't we? We enjoy writing. Yes. It's better to share your work. It's some sort of, it's exciting. Well, once you start putting your work out there, the whole point is to share it with people because otherwise you'd just keep it to yourself. You wouldn't publish anything. So once it's out there, you really want to know how to how to reach other people so they can share what you've written as well. Yeah, you've got talents, we've got skills. Everybody does, not just you and me, but everybody does. And if we don't actually use our skills in a public way, if we're too afraid to share them, then we miss out on all sorts of opportunities to interact with other people, share ideas and make a difference in the world, don't we? Yes. And it can be frightening, can't it, to uh, uh, share things with the public. Do you think, agree? Oh, yes. And there is a big temptation to say, oh, no, 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 wait till I get better or you never do anything (laughs) because somebody might come along and criticise and criticism isn't very nice, is it? Yeah. Especially when you're doing something that comes from your heart somebody comes along and criticizes something that's very dear to you, that means a lot to you. Now, I haven't had to deal with too much, but sometimes I don't even look to see whether <laughs> anyone's criticized me. Yes. I'm a bit like, um, oh, there was an outline in your book, the your one that I'm reading at the moment, the one I'm beta reading for you, about burying your head in the sand. <laughs> uh, not the sand, burying your head in the snow. <laughs> and uh, usually it's burying your head in the sand, isn't it, like an ostrich? But yes, I don't look because I think, well, look, if someone's giving me a bad review, then it could upset me and it might stop me from sharing. I might get discouraged. What I don't know can't hurt me. Yes, and and it it is a bit discouraging if you find a negative review. I think I've only had one, but that was the first and possibly the only review I've had of Frost Hands on Amazon. Didn't didn't have a comment or anything with it, but it was just a two-star review. And you look at that and go, oh... Oh no. <laughs> oh, what did I do wrong? And, you know, I probably didn't do anything wrong. It probably just wasn't that person's, um, you know, idea of what they wanted to read at that point. But it's very 
disheartening to see that, especially when that sits so publicly and you know everyone else is going to look at it. I think that it's harder when people just give you a star review and don't actually say what they didn't like about it. Yeah, because if they say what they didn't like, then it can then you can tell either you know maybe they misread it or maybe there was a genuine thing that you could think about more for the future, or maybe it was just a sort of book that you know they weren't really into. Um, and and that was why they didn't enjoy it as much. Because you want people to be honest. Uh, because feedback can be good, can't it? We can build from it if it's uh, what's the word? If it's constructive. Constructive. That's right. But just a, an opinion, just off the cuff, and oh, I hated that or whatever. That's no good at all. Yeah. And it's not really. I don't think it's really fair when people have spent a lot of time putting their heart and soul into something and then other people can come along and flatten you really quickly with a few words that aren't carefully thought out. Yes. So, and the other thing I was thinking about is that a lot of times people are quick to criticize uh, in, a, in a, a way that's not constructive, but would they go and put themselves where we've put ourselves? Yes. But like you sometimes I think well you go and try and see if you can do any better yeah yes but unless uh people uh, are willing to do it themselves sometimes people don't have the insight into what goes into a book or whatever you're creating they don't understand the creative process they don't understand how it's difficult to put yourself out there all they want to do is flatten you yes it's very easy to be an armchair critic exactly but would they go and do it themselves? Yes. No. That's <laughs> very Anyway, back to this book, um, Show Your Work. Now, I'm on There's 10 ways to share your creativity and get discovered. And I'm going to talk about the eighth way. Learn to take a punch because this is very appropriate to what we've been talking about. Let them take their best shot. And there's a quote here from Cindy Lauper. I ain't going to give up. Every time you think I'm one place, I'm going to show up someplace else. I come pre-hated, take your best shot. And I think, well, that's fabulous advice, isn't it? Yes. And I wonder why we let ourselves get so affected by other people's opinions. For every aspect of our lives, whether it's parenting, um, unschooling, uh, creating, whatever, work, whatever. Why don't we have more confidence in our own uh, ability and our own perception of what we're doing why are we so easily swayed by other people's opinions when other people's opinions might not be worth much yes um i actually heard this great quote this week um it was in an, in- an interview with uh, a, a big gaming youtuber and he was being asked you know how do you deal with so much criticism and everyone else's opinions and he says well he realized um everyone's the same age online so these people you don't know where they are you don't know who they are and you don't know how old they are the criticism could be coming from some 12 year old who doesn't know what they're talking about just as just as easily as easily as it could be coming from you know a master in say writing or something you don't know who they are they don't know who you are um they could be anybody. So what does their opinion really matter? Why why let their opinion of you um, sort of shake you bec- when you, you have no connection and, and they have no credibility? You've, you only take the opinions of the people you know and you trust. And that brings me on to another 
point about it does matter what certain people think because if you get feedback from people you can trust, it does help, doesn't it? Yes. So sometimes it can be uh, tempting just to say, I don't care what anybody thinks and we're not never going to grow if we rely just on our own opinion, are we? No. So can you read this next quote that I've got here? That one there. Um, I thought that was a good quote too. The trick is not caring what everybody thinks of you and just caring about what the right people think of you. Um, quote from Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. Don't feed the trolls. <laughs> That's what comes underneath that. So, yeah, criticism is hard, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's why sometimes. <laughs> so I've got to, yeah, we, um. Just sitting there going, yeah, it's pretty hard. <laughs> Just this big pause, like, yep. <laughs> don't know what to say next. <laughs> it's hard to follow up from that. <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, I don't go looking for reviews or feedback publicly because... I'm afraid. It's, it's like you want people to say to say good things about it, but you don't want to ask them their opinions because otherwise, what if they say they don't want, they don't like it? What if I say, Imogen, uh, can everybody write us a review of this podcast so that more people get to hear about it? And what if people write the reviews and give us a two-star rating and say, <laughs> well, they're not worth listening to. They ramble on all the time and they go... <laughs> off track and they don't say anything of you uh, that's helpful and I think no review is better than a two-star review like that isn't it <laughs> but if you do like this podcast and, and you would like to give us a five-star review you could do that so what we should say is <laughs> if you would like to give us a five-star review please go over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Even a four-star review is pretty good. We'd like a four-star as well. No, I think five-star. Well, I mean, aim, aim for the stars, but if we but if, but if we can get a four-star, I'd be pretty happy with that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> oh, she has higher standards than I do. <laughs> five-star or bust. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to ask for reviewers. Go for the top. <laughs> I've stopped. People might realize this, but I've stopped asking for reviews, if anything, because quite often people don't actually respond and I get discouraged that I say please review this if you like it or whatever and the number of times that people respond is very few yes so even when um I think for my first book I sent out a whole bunch of advanced copies to people being like I will give you a free advanced copy if you can write a review um at launch for like Goodreads or Amazon or something all you have to do to get this is to write me a short review. It could be one line of, of a review and a star rating. That's all you needed. And do you know how many people couldn't even do that? Like obviously some of like my personal friends and stuff and people did, but there was a good uh, percentage of them who got the book and you never heard from them again. And it's like, I mean, at this point it's part of the course, but so many people are just like, yes, I will leave you a review here. I will do this for you. And then you never hear from them again. <laughs> It's very, um, it makes you feel down, doesn't it? Sometimes I think, why do I do what I do when a lot of people, they listen silently or they read silently, and but they not many people actually want to interact and... Uh, respond to anything you do yeah I think I think that people a lot of the time sit there and go oh but someone else will will say this or they don't know that I'm there so it's not going to make much of a difference but it always does make a difference because 
you know, it might, they might think, oh, I'm just one person. It's like, yeah, but you're, you're just one person. And then the next person thinks I'm just one person. And who's going to be the one person who's actually going to, you know, leave a comment, give some feedback, um, do, do the review they promised or whatever. Because if everybody says, I'm just one person, it doesn't matter whether I do this or not, nothing gets done. Like nobody leaves anything. And, and the person who's reached out is left there sitting going, well, well, this was a bust. Nobody, obviously nobody liked that. Did I do a good enough job? I think that's one reason that I left podcasting for a while is because I got busy with other things and I felt down myself, but it didn't seem to matter. You know, that, uh, what, what's if when, when nobody's, um, when nobody's giving you any feedback or saying anything, it's like, well, does it really matter to these people whether we're here or not? Do we make enough of an impression? That's right. And when Noel, uh, left me a comment within our unschooling community to ask me if we were doing any more podcasts because she enjoyed them. That was the catalyst for us coming back. Just one person giving some, uh, asking me if we would do more. So it does make a difference, doesn't it? It does. And that's why we're sitting here today because of Noel. So thank you, Noel. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this episode, Noel. This yeah. is, they're all for you. <laughs> and they're all because of you. <laughs> yes, I don't know how many other people are listening because occasionally I have a look. When I'm doing a new, uploading a new episode, I might look at the figures for the previous one because they're just there on the page. It's on the same page for the new upload. It's not as if I go looking for them and you, my eye just strolls strolls is that good scrolls <laughs> <laughs> strolls scrolls anyway my eyes moved down the page and I just happened to look and see how many listens we had for the last one but after that first day I don't bother going back because again it's like uh if you if you don't get enough views or what you think is enough it's gonna be very disheartening as well yeah, you think, oh, why bother? But then again, does it matter if, if Noel's just listening and nobody else is? Is it worth doing something just for one person? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. And you know, if there's anyone else out there enjoying it, you can always leave us a comment and, and, and we'll make the next episode for you as well. Yeah, that would be nice, <laughs> wouldn't it? I'm sure if you were to leave a comment, we could even shout out your name. <laughs> Let people know that you were one of the nice people. <laughs> Right, one of the nice people. I'm sure everybody's I'm sure nice. I'm sure nice people, but a nice person who reached out and left us a comment. Okay. I shall did clarify that. No, no, a person who did something nice. Yes. <laughs> um, that was something I was thinking about there. Oh, I was going to say, yes, within our unschooling community, that's one place where I get lots of nice feedback. People are so friendly and quick to leave me encouraging comments within that community so I wouldn't like to say give the impression that nobody gives any feedback and nobody ever thanks me for what I'm doing and nobody ever encourages me because that's not true at all within the unschooling community we're a beautiful community we're all encouraging each other and I think that's what it's all about isn't it I do this because I want to encourage other people but I have discovered that everybody else is encouraging me as well and so that is good. It's really beautiful. It's the things that I'm doing externally, which sometimes I never hear back from. But within the community, that's no problem whatsoever. Beautiful, beautiful people. So everybody should join the community, shouldn't they? They should. I want to say more about that in a little bit. So where am I up to? All right, writing. Should we say something about writing? Now, a couple of podcasts ago, the ones that we do together... We were talking about writing and 
how it's easier to write about things we know about. So if you don't know what to write about, write about things that we know about. We talked about that, didn't we? Yes, you don't have to do quite so much research, which is fantastic. And we both <laughs> declared ourselves lazy writers. <laughs> yes. We don't like sitting down and researching because, especially if you're doing historical stuff. There's so much to research to make sure you get it right. Because you don't want somebody coming back and saying, you got that wrong. Now, we talked about all that, but um, I did do some research for my last Angel's book, my children's novel, the one that's finished but hasn't yet been published because I'm waiting on the illustrations. And I researched twins because I've never had twins. Do you know my, um, my grandmother had twins? There's twins in our family. But I personally have never had twins. And I wanted some of my characters to be twins. And I thought, well, look, I could write about twins and what it's like to have twins and all that. But what if I get it wrong and some <laughs> twin mothers or twin fathers come back and say, no, you got it all wrong. <laughs> That's not how this happens. Yeah, it's a lot harder than you making out. <laughs> so I actually posted a question about twins. I, want, I had lots of questions about twins. And I posted it in our unschooling community. And you know, for a community of, I don't know how many people we've got, I don't know, 170 or something, there's a number of people that have twins. And a, a, a twins aren't as, um, what's the word, rare as I imagined. And we had a really good long conversation between us all about twins. And I got some expert information, which I was able to use in my book. And yeah, just I was so surprised how many people have twins. I also learned a lot about twins. Right, but the reason I bring that up is not to talk about my book, but I'm still reading your book, Nameless, because I got sidetracked by holiday last week. Yeah, she was too busy enjoying herself to read my book, you know. <laughs> oh, but since I've been home, I've been racing through it and I've nearly finished. And it's called Nameless, and it's a spin-off of your um, Crystal Tree and Shadowing Song books, isn't it? Yes. Set in the same world. Yes, yeah, so it's set in the same world. It's set after the events of those but with new characters and a new adventure. So hopefully it's written that you could, um, in a way so that you can read it by itself without, without having read the first two. But if you've read the first two, I think you'll enjoy it even more. Well, I reckon it's a really good book. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's set in winter. This is the point I wanted to make. And as I was reading it, I'm thinking to myself, you're describing a place that has a bleak winter with lots and lots of snow and you've never ever experienced that. <laughs> no, I have not. I, we do live in the part of Australia that is slightly more typical and does not have any snow in the winter. <laughs> it is cold. It is not that cold. Yeah, so I thought, how do you know all about that? <laughs> is it because you've been reading other books about snow? Did you do some research? Bit of one, bit of the other. A lot of my knowledge comes from other books that I've read and, you know, movies I've seen and things and sort of picked up on the basic idea. And then if there was anything that I was unsure of and needed um, a definite answer for, I'd have that particular question and then go and look up that one thing and be like, okay, I've got the answer to this one thing so I can write this section now. So I don't know how exactly accurate it is. It's been my best... Um, it's written to the best of my abilities. And one of the things I said when, in my questions to my beta readers when I sent it out, because I know some of them do come from places that get very snowy in the winter, I was like, this book is set in winter with snow. 
I don't live in a place where there's any snow. If something about this doesn't read right, can you let me know so I can fix it? <laughs> because that's that's pretty much my last line. It's like I've done, I've you know, I've I've read the books and watched the movies where this is all portrayed. I've done the research for the bits that I was really uncertain about, and now I'm I'm handing it off to the people who might have some real world experience with this, <laughs> just so I can do the best I can. Well, I think you're doing. A- a brilliant job it rang true for me I have experienced some snow I went to a university in Wales and one winter we got snowed in on the coast and the salt water harbour got frozen over which is which is quite some going and the train lines in were snowed over so that I got in on the last day that it was possible to get in and then we were isolated for quite some time until they cleared the snow uh we couldn't get any supplies in or out but when they did clear the snow it was rather surreal they the snow plows they piled the snow up on the beach and so there were big mounds of snow in front of the ocean. It was... So instead of your nice pebbly beach, you had a nice snowy beach. Yes, yeah, so I have had a little bit of experience with snow. And, oh, it was so cold. <laughs> I don't really want that experience again. So I think that you've done really well. Well, there's, there's my first endorsement for it. I mustn't have done too badly. No, but I was just thinking, you're writing about it as if you know what you're talking about. <laughs> and you don't know really know what you're talking no, about. No, I don't. <laughs> Although if we're talking about something else in there that I wrote from writing from experience... Um, you actually brought this up the other night, which is the concept of lockdowns. <laughs> now, I'd like to preface this by saying I wrote this book before COVID was a thing. So I wrote the first draft of this maybe a couple of years ago. Um, and during part of the book, the village that they're in does basically a complete lockdown. The, the gates are shut. Nobody can come in or out because of some threat outside. And when I, and I wrote this, before we ever had um, quarantines and lockdowns and COVID. And of course, when I was coming to edit it, we were, we were then right in the middle of COVID. So I was like, okay, well, at least now I've got some practical experience to put into this situation. I know what people are going to be thinking like, what they're going to be protesting about, I know exactly how to write this a bit more. Yeah, it was really effective because I, I said to you, didn't I, when I came got to that point, I said, you've got a lockdown in your story. <laughs> So very appropriate. But looking at the time, Imogen, we're nearly up to an hour. Shall oh, we, we, better get, we better get going then? You know, race then on we'll... to the next thing because we haven't spoken about anything we've watched. And i got a couple of things here and that will finish it off nicely, I think. Um, yeah, both things. It's like reading. I haven't read much, haven't watched much. So <laughs> it's going to be... Uh... Yeah, well, I haven't watched much since last time. I think the, the greatest thing I did was I binged through the entire catalogue of animated Tintin films which are the animated versions of the fabulous comics, which, while fantastic, don't really lend themselves to a great discussion. So <laughs> I was doing a lot of watching for me and for my entertainment rather than anything very highbrow. Oh, I love Tintin. We used, well, we probably still have lots of the comics around, but I think you can get those online. Yeah, and actually, if, if people haven't watched any of the Tintin... I don't know if it's exactly films or more of a TV show. They have some of them on Netflix now. They don't have the whole catalogue. And in my um, in my opinion, they're missing some of the best ones. But that, but if you're interested in checking out Tintin, have a look on Netflix. They've got a good maybe six adventures on there. I think that something like Tintin in the comics version 
is good for encouraging younger children to read. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, sometimes parents look down on comics. They want kids to read um, proper books. Oh, but the comics, you know, there's loads of words in comics. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's storytelling and you can talk about it all. And it's inspiring. So Tintin, that's what you've been watching. Yes. Well, I've watched half of something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yours is slightly more highbrow than mine. So I think the half counts for a lot more. <laughs> well, it's not that highbrow. <laughs> I don't know. It's a musical. A musical. We love musicals, don't we? We do. And while we were away last week visiting Sophie and Callum, um, Jim Rose and I started watching The Greatest Showman. Now, Sophie was busy doing something else, and we sat down and started watching it. And we actually, two evenings in a row, we watched part of it because other things, we didn't have the time to sit and watch for long periods of time. The holiday was a bit too busy, but we just watched a little bit. And so we haven't watched it all. And it's the story of P.T. Barnum, I think his initials are P.T., the uh, circus man of the of Barnum and Bailey circus that's right we haven't got I haven't got up to the Barnum the Bailey bit I, I don't know if he comes into the greatest showman yeah I'm not a hundred percent sure I think they may have simplified the story there um definitely don't take this as absolute fact because I don't I don't know for certain but I have a vague memory that I think they simplified parts of the story for the musical version just because otherwise it gets very complicated yes and I was reading a an article about um, The Greatest Showman, and it criticised the movie, saying that they sort of sanitised Barnum, that uh, he wasn't quite like, the real man wasn't quite like he was portrayed in the movie. Yeah. And uh, in the comments, people were criticising the article, (laughs) (laughs) saying that... Yes, there were moments that he was portrayed negatively because they said that, you know, he was portrayed as a good person, too, too good. Um, and I, the pair I saw where, where we stopped, we got up to the point where Barnum was at a function. He had uh, persuaded this really good singer to join him on his tour. He wanted to elevate the level of his entertainment. He was known for sort of... Uh, curiosities and low-class sort of entertainment. He wanted a bit more star power in there. Yeah, he wanted to have influence, I think, with the richer people to be taken seriously and not to be said, well, you're just that guy traveling around with a bunch of weirdos. That's right. And at this, it must have been at a, I don't know, after performance function or something when she was a tremendous success, and they were all sipping champagne and everything, that all his regular performers, the trapeze, what's the word? Trapeze. (laughs) Trapeze artists and the woman with the beard and the various various other people anyway, they all knocked on the door wanting to come in and join the celebration and he had a steely look on his face and he closed the door on them. And he didn't come over as very nice at all. But anyway, the article, the comments, said that we are quick to judge other people and that really Barnum was a a mix of good and bad, just like all of us. And I suppose that's true, isn't it? There is good in him. There was a lot of bad in him as well. Now, I can't really say any more about the movie because I haven't watched the end. (laughs) So I don't know. But what I will say is... I can't wait to start it from the beginning and watch it all again because the music and the dancing and the costumes were fabulous. I'd, I'd be interested to watch that myself. Um, I think the last 
uh, movie version of a musical I watched was the Les Miserables and I was not not very impressed to be honest <laughs> um I to, to be to be fair I have only watched it once but the experience of watching it the first time was very it was disappointing because they built it up so much to be this great spectacle and then it delivered on so little when the stage production is so amazing because like they've I think their big gimmick in that one was oh, all the songs were done live you know we did, don't have any studio versions it was all done on set and you listen to it and you go please put them back in the studio on the set is not a good idea <laughs> and also please pick some people who are primarily singers or have a lot of experience in singing because while you can be a you can have a generally okay voice if you're in something that is 90% singing, you have to be a really good singer and you can't pick someone who's there for their name, not their voice, which I feel like they did with a few people. Well, you would uh, be sensitive to that as a singer yourself. Oh, yes. It was it was very difficult to watch um, from my perspective. I think I was a bit – I went into it with a lot more of a critical eye because I like I knew about – Critical uh, ear. Yes, that's well. Like, I, I so wanted to love it. I really wanted to love Hugh Jackman in it because, like, we've seen him in a couple of other musical things. I remember watching Oklahoma with him when he was yeah, younger. That was good. And I knew he could sing, and like, I knew he could sing really well. And then he was in Les Mis, and it may have just been the way they did it, but he sounded so terrible that in the end, the one, one of the few people I liked hearing the singing of was actually Russell Crowe, and he sang like a robot. So, like, it was, it was a good tone, and that he just no emotion, like no expressions, like. At least you're giving me a good sound. I think I'm going to have to watch this just to. Uh, Watch it and see what you what you mean by it because I haven't actually seen it. I want to watch it again myself now just to see whether my initial um, impression impression was too negative or whether I'd have the same opinion now because it has been a, quite a long time since I've seen it. Well, I think you'll like The Greatest Showman, which also stars Hugh Jackman, because it is a fabulous piece of entertainment, if not historically correct. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I think that's important, isn't it? That people can take, uh, they don't have to always be as perfectly true to history. They can make their own take on it and they can bill it as entertainment. Yes. And then it usually leads to people going and researching it anyway and finding out the true facts. It's like um, it's like Hamilton, which is hugely popular. I think that's, I think that's on Disney Plus at the moment. Um, which is based on like the American Revolution, I think. And a lot of it is quite historically accurate, but I think they've had to simplify some stuff down for the stage. But it's a great jumping off point for going and learning more about um, about that <laughs> period of history and such. And I think that also is very true of the series The Crown. They don't uh, advertise it as being 100% historically accurate. It's based on historical events so that they've got license to fill in conversations or, or, or events or create something that is thematically you know, consistent but maybe not historically accurate. So as long as people know that it's, they're not trying to portray it as 100% true, 
uh, it's okay. It's entertainment, isn't it? Yes. It's their take on it. They're, Can you go and see that dog? I mean, there's a dog <laughs> scratching at the door. She's and there for like half an hour. And I'm sure that all that scratching noise, let her in, uh, will come out on the podcast. It'll be just as irritating as if uh, there's a chainsaw in the background. All right, she's in. All right, you're a horrible dog sometimes. <laughs> no, she, it's guest starring Quinn. That's a pity we haven't got a video because then she looks a lot better than she <laughs> the sounds. <laughs> All right, one more thing, one more thing, and we're done. I'm watching something else. Well, before we do that, watching something else, I think we should. I think we should do our little social plugs because oh, if we yeah. don't do them now, people are going to turn off before we get there. I was wondering what that. <laughs> there's a right after the Greatest Showman. I've written ads, and I thought, what does that mean? And I passed over it, but you've reminded me. Yes, it's time to uh, tell everybody where we where we are and what we're doing because we're pretty sure if if we leave all this stuff at the end, people are just going to turn off and nobody's going to listen, and then what's the point? But there is more interesting conversation to come after this, so you better stick around. Okay, then. Imogen, where can people find you? (laughs) Well, you can find me on my website um, at imogenelvis.com and you can find me on Instagram at writerewriteread and you can obviously find me and all my books on Amazon. I have three books out currently. There is my fantasy duology of The Crystal Tree and The Shattering Song, which I highly recommend if you haven't read already, you should get onto because Nameless is coming out this year and you'll want to be all caught up. And then there's my um, superhero series. The first book of that is Frost Hands. And if you have read that and haven't left um, a positive review yet, um, I would absolutely appreciate it if you went on Amazon and left even just like a, a star rating or something. So is that everything? I think, is, do you say Instagram? Yep. Yep. I think I've I think I've listed all the important places you can find me. And on the podcast. Absolutely. Right. I can be found on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, and, oh, where else? YouTube, Sue Elvis. And I'm still on Instagram. <laughs> Do you remember last time we were talking? Yep. You said if a few people follow me, I might actually uh, stay there. Well, I think I did get a few new followers and I posted <laughs> twice, I think, since the last podcast. So it's, it's working. She's staying. Oh, I don't know. I'm still feeling very up and down about that. But anyway, uh, Sue Elf is on Instagram. Anywhere else? You also have the Unschooling Community. Oh, yes, the Unschooling Community. That's the best place to find me. I spend most of my time there these days. I spend a lot of time and work into the community and less on my blog. It's just a lovely place to be. I like going there. And Amazon with my books, Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love. And there's a couple of Angel Children's novels there too, and there'll be another third one soon. So is that everything? I think that's all of that of that quick little plug. So yeah. you were going to tell us now about the other thing that you've been watching. Yes, it's a part thing as well. I haven't finished that <laughs> either. But yes, I was watching this, uh, well, what would you call it? It was a Zoom call, uh, you know, one of these live stream things. And with uh, Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen, he plays Jesus in the, the Chosen series. And he was talking about various things about uh, the, the series, The Chosen. And I've actually had the app for the series on my iPad for a long, long time, but I haven't actually watched the series. Yeah, it's just everyone was talking about it, and I downloaded the app. And I think this is a problem, isn't it? You belong, you, there's so much going on. 
just looking at movies and things, we've got Netflix and Disney Plus and Amazon, and then you've got YouTube, and that's just for watching. And then you've got, uh, what else, books to read. We are swimming in things that we could watch, listen to, or read, aren't we? And sometimes we can't keep up with everything that we would like to do. So the chosen sort of went down down the bottom of my priority list. But after watching this uh, interview with Jonathan Rumi, last night I decided that I would start watching The Chosen. And I watched one episode, which was about an hour long. And anyway, Jonathan Rumi was telling us about how the series has been funded. They're just releasing the second series. So I've got to catch up really quickly because the new series is being released. And they started off with a fundraiser. Is it called Crowdfund? Um, that, I think that might be one of them. So the, it could be crowdfund, it could be Kickstarter. I think it was crowdfund. And they got enough money to do the first series. And now they're raising money uh, by um, Pay It Forward. So you can, So somebody pays so much money and that, that pays for, if you pay $15, for example, that pays for another 10 people to be able to watch it because it costs money to, uh, to stream the series through the app. So if you pay $15, you can watch it yourself and then you can give 10 other people uh, the opportunity to watch as well. So I got to watch The Chosen, the first episode last night for free because a thing came up on the screen saying blah, blah, blah from somebody where in the world uh, has donated so that you can watch this episode. So thank you, whoever it was. <laughs> I got to watch it for free. And he said that if you go on the app and you can't get a free view, he said then either you can pay for it yourself or you can wait until someone has donated and then more uh, free opportunities will appear. So I was lucky last night, but I'm going to buy to pay $15 because I want to support it. And I was thinking about how so many times we want something for free, don't we? Yes. We want the free opportunity. We don't want to pay for something. We'll wait. We'll wait until somebody else is paid and then we'll take advantage of it. And I've been trying to get over that attitude. I want to pay so somebody else can listen as well. And I think this is very uh, this attitude is very common on the internet, isn't it? People want things for free. Yes. A free download of a book on Kindle. Yes, yeah, so you get you get so many more free downloads of books than you ever sell a Kindle copy for like two ninety nine. Exactly. People will grab all the free stuff, or they'll visit blogs for free, or they'll listen to a podcast for free. And then when you try and monetize something, people get a bit upset about it all. You're offering this for free and now you're, we're having to pay for it. And I think sometimes we forget that somebody has paid for it for us, that content on the internet is never, never free. Yes. Somebody has paid for it. You can get a free podcast, but somebody is paying the hosting fees for that. You can read a blog for free, for free but someone's got to pay for the domain so that you can go on there. And that's... Uh, in addition to the person's time, yes, whether they're doing it in their free time or whether they're uh, they're giving up time to do it, and so nothing is free, but we all want free stuff, don't we? Yes. And well, this is leading on to my community, which is free to join, but it's only free because of the fabulous what I call superstar members who are donating to keep their community online, and I just wanted to shout out to all those people like Noel, <laughs> who are donating so that we 
can all enjoy the community. And there's some people can't afford to donate. That's fine. I don't want to make uh, the, the community only for people who can afford it because there are times when we can't afford anything, isn't yes. it? But if we all work together, uh, we can do a whole lot more. So within our community, which is free, I do have a special group for all those superstar members because I want to say thank you for their generosity. They've gone beyond uh, what we normally do. They obviously value the community and want to help. So I've been doing a few things within this group for people. Can I just um, say what I've been doing, Imogen? I think this is a good idea. All right. Well, every week we have an unschooling challenge where I propose something that we can do together, which illustrates a principle of unschooling. It helps us incorporate unschooling into our lives. It gives us a chance to talk about the principles of unschooling. And I was doing one every week for the main community, but now I'm doing one in the main community and one uh, and the next week it'll be in the paid group. So the main main community people get two a month and everybody else gets four a month. But I've also been putting together some ebooks of the unschooling challenges. Every month I put together uh, an ebook that has all that month's uh, challenges in it, plus some additional articles that are related to those challenges. I'm also doing more posts about such things as real life maths in the paid group. And we've been doing some really good uh, Zoom discussions, Imogen, which doesn't sound like me at all, but I sort of got over my fear of Zoom and we've been discussing unschooling once a month via Zoom. And I've been putting the replay videos on YouTube, but they're only available to see within the community, the general community. But I'm also putting the audio files like a podcast for the paid group as well so they get the choice of watching the videos or listening to the audio which an audio is good when it's long isn't it you can get on and do other things yes I do like putting on something that I can just listen to in the background while I'm doing something else so and the other thing I'm doing is recording Curious Unschoolers my first unschooling book in parts and I'm posting those in the paid group as well so I think I spoke about that last time I'm not don't think I'll ever do a public uh, audiobook of Curious Unschoolers. So this is my attempt to turn Curious Unschoolers into an audiobook and it's only available for those wonderful members who are in that paid unschooling community group. And some other things I would like to try is I'd like to make some graphics for screensavers and for posters with good unschooling and parenting quotes or words on. Uh, yeah, the, the, try and play around with that. Do some graphics. So, I think that's about all, Imogen. That's a bit about um, the community. Perhaps I should invite people to go over and enjoy. Because the other thing I was thinking about, about the unschooling community, is the paid uh, membership, is that I said that uh, it's done by donation and not a set amount of money. And sometimes that's a problem for people, isn't it? They don't know how much to donate. Yes. It sometimes would be easier if they knew it was so many dollars a month or... Uh, so many dollars a year and then they're a bit hesitant thinking if I pay too much or I paid not enough uh, and so what I'd like to say is that whatever you can afford however little or however much however much you think they're 
community means to you, whatever. It doesn't matter how large or small your donation is, it will be appreciated. I don't compare donations. No, and there's a reason why we don't make the donation amounts public at all, just the people who donated, because there's no pressure to donate at a certain level or a certain amount or to match someone else's donation. All donations are appreciated. And I think this also helps with, if you can't afford much, I don't want to exclude people. Yes, you don't want to exclude someone just because like oh I can't donate as much as everyone else has yes so it's your own personal choice and it is well worth going and I know everybody who has donated and has access to the paid group um, absolutely loves it and gets so much extra value out of it and also I do appreciate the donations because it's allowing me to keep the community online and to to keep it free for other people as well and the podcast my blog and all the equipment is covered plus we have the recurring fee of zoom every month that has to be covered as well so it does encourage me to keep on going because I know that there is money to cover all these expenses and I don't have to pay them out of my own pocket and it means that this stuff can keep going on into the future so if you're enjoying anything like the podcast the Zoom calls, the community, a website, whatever. It's really only going to be sustainable in the future because generous people are putting their donations out because at some point these costs get so high that if you're paying them out of your own pocket, at some point it's too much money. And I don't have another income apart from the books and stuff. But yes, they're not big sellers. <laughs> they're not big sellers. I have sold quite a lot of books recently, but I don't get a lot of money per book. It's they're not exactly pro- New York Times bestsellers just yet. <laughs> well, unschooling isn't that popular, is it? But um, the point is that I've priced the books also so people can afford them. Yes. And so I don't only get a very small percentage of the sale of each book on Amazon. So that's never going to make my fortune. <laughs> but if you like it, please go over, please please donate, please join the paid group because you will get so much out of it and you will continue to support everything else that you love about what's being done here. Thank you, Imogen. You really are my PR person, aren't you? <laughs> I kind of find it hard to sell myself, but you're doing a great job for me. All right, I think that's all, Imogen. We've got to the limit I think of our time an hour and 20 minutes is usually our highest and yeah, we're we, about there we can't we can't keep people sitting here too long <laughs> no we are so I need to um I don't know what time is get on with some oh lunch time <laughs> <gasps> gotta go and have my lunch okay thank you so much for joining me and we'll be back in two weeks absolutely unless we have any more d- disasters like tree cutting and stuff <laughs> same time same place ish barring all that catastrophes or or otherwise hopefully we'll have some more interesting things to discuss next time (laughs) maybe we'll have actually watched and read something completely by the time we come back (laughs) yes okay then we could say goodbye (laughs) we could say goodbye for another 10 minutes couldn't we okay then thank you so much everybody for listening to our episode this episode 186 thank you imogen for joining me and until next time don't forget to live a radical life of unconditional love (sighs) done it do you know what, Imogen? better late than never (laughs) yes better late than never yes that's what i think but i also do you know what i think why don't you lead the next podcast? Oh, no. I don't think anyone's ready for that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean it. Why don't you um, make a list of things we could talk about and then you could be the one in the driver's seat and I could sit back and just uh, follow your lead and it will be, I think it'd be good. Maybe. Maybe. Something to think about. Something to think about. Hey, you better get off and edit this and get it up. <laughs>